Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Avengers with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Hello and welcome back to another special edition of Box Office Bingers. We're taking another week off uh, this week, and you know, you know what happens when we get a week off? We give you, we're going, we're doing double duty, and we're giving you guys another creator spotlight on somebody that's always changing the game with cinema, and that he came out of nowhere. We're talking about Jordan Peele, uh, and and this guy, I mean Ernesto. You know, we, we can talk. We're going to talk about Jordan Peele all day, but he has. I mean, I had. I don't even know where to begin with Jordan Peele. He has like, you know, I feel like everything he's been doing so far is just like a masterpiece. Well, I mean, you say he comes out of left field. At least for me, the older, the older of the the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually remember him from Mad TV way, way back in the day. Like, oh. He's always been. He's always been like a comedian to me. Like. You know, between that and um, Key and Peel and all his voiceover work, um, he's great. I'm very excited. We're actually going to be reviewing Get Out and Us, which are, as you, you already know, written and directed by Jordan Peel. Yeah, and I feel like at least like, you know, as we talk about first introductions, you said that you first were introduced to them by Matt TV. And I I knew of him from Key and Peel, uh, but like I never I never watched the show for some reason. What? No, I know. I just, I just never, I never. Come to said, a full stop right now. And that's, that's, <laughs> I believe you've never seen Key and Peele. It's hilarious. Guys, we're, we're gonna take a brief pause on this episode. I'm gonna be back and uh, I'm gonna watch all five, four, five, four, five seasons of the show, and then I'll come back and I'll be well versed. But yeah, no, I haven't. I have not seen. I've seen clips on YouTube of like certain skits, but I never sat down and watched like a full episode of Key and Peele. I don't know why. It just all the stuff I've seen on 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 YouTube was just very funny and very real. But I for some reason I was just never like, hey, I should probably go and watch this. And no, well, that's never fine. Happened. Well, that that's fine because the the show you know is just like a collection of skits. Okay, so I'm not missing much except for probably a lot of skits, basically. Yeah. Double A, Ron. Yeah, <laughs> I know that one. That one I know. I mean, that's Keanu. That's the other one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, Ron. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so so but I really didn't get to I really didn't know Jordan Peele until Get Out, like honestly, like that's when he went into my world of movies and then people were raving about this film. I like like it honestly, Get Out did not look good based on the trailer. Like I it didn't like it didn't look like it was gonna be my type of movie. And then it was given like rave reviews. And then I saw the movie in theaters and I was like, I don't get it. I know <laughs> what? I don't like. I didn't get it. No, like it just went over my head. It was like one of those movies where I'm like, I don't understand the hype. Maybe, maybe it's just me. And then almost a whole year went by and I actually own the movie digitally through like a service that Regal was doing. If you saw the movie, you own the movie. And so it was already sitting in my voodoo library. 
And it was nominated for the Oscars for Best Screenplay and Best Picture. And I'm like, man, what am I missing about this? <laughs> like the Oscars, getting Oscar attention. So I went back and rewatched it. And then for some reason, it just clicked. And I was like, wow, th- I was missing all of that for a year. I was I was so behind on this hype train. I, I didn't that's, that's funny you say that because and, and I'm going to talk. I'm, I'm going to mention it when we get into our review. And actually, it. I think it's a common theme with both of them, with both films, is that I got way more out of the second watch than I did the first watch. While while I still enjoyed the first watch of Get Out, I had I could I think I appreciated the film more during the second watch. Oh, a hundred percent. You have no idea. I felt the same way for us. Like when we were doing when we were doing homework for this episode, it would be my third time watching Get Out and the third time I've watched Us, and both times you get something new out of it. Like I, I learned stuff I did not know that were in, was implanted into this movie that was just like literally staring at you in the face the whole time, like all the symbolisms and stuff. But we're going to get into all that in just a moment. But first, we're going we're gonna to talk about Jordan Peele. How did he get started? How did he get from, you know, from his early beginnings to where he is today? We're going to tell you about it. So let's start off with Jordan Jordan. Hayworth Peel. That's his full name. Born on February 21st, 1979. That is one day before my birthday. I'm February 22nd. So hey, yo. Hey, yo. But I, you know, I was not born in 1979. That's the only difference there. No, Uh, he's an American actor, comedian, writer, turned producer, director. And like we said, he's most famous for probably his comedy sketch show, Key and Peele, and most recently, basically reinventing the horror genre with Get Out and Us. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into those two films. And also, we're going to also talk about some of his future work and current projects he has going on as well, which is a lot of interesting stuff. Ernesto and I were talking up about his current work and his future projects before that, before we start recording. And you guys are in for a treat. Like he's got some really good stuff in the works. Um, Side note. Did you yeah. know that he was married to Chelsea Peretti from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine? I did know that. Yes, I did. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I, Crazy. but, it's, it's, I think I don't know where they met. I think it might have been on Matt TV or it just might have been because they're both in the comedy world. I think they met. But, yeah, I, I did know that. I, but, like, they don't, you don't see that, like, often. Like, that's something that's not oh. talked about. I, if yeah. it wasn't on IMDb, I never would have knew that. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely keep that relationship very quiet, I guess. But I don't yeah. think they're I don't think they're purposely doing that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right, so he was born in New York City, raised from uh, raised by his single mother in Manhattan, Upper West Side. He attended Sarah Lawrence uh, College, a private liberal arts college in New York. After two years, he dropped out of college to form a comedy duo with college roommate and future Keaton Peel writer Rebecca uh, Drysdale. I'm sure his mother was not happy about that when he was like, you know, I raised you, you know, to be to go to college. And then you drop out of college to form a comedy group? Jesus, I, you know, my mother would not be happy with me if I did that. Mine wouldn't. But, you know, maybe she was a supportive type. Maybe she, she you been. know. Maybe she got the belt. I don't know. I'm not sure what time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what mother she was. But I'll tell you what. I, I think the belt would have came out first for me and then maybe support later. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, if, if you're going to make it work. Um, yeah, so so he did that. And then after performing at comedy clubs around the country, including the Second City uh, Comedy Club in Chicago, it was in 2003 who he was picked up by Matt TV and joined the cast for its ninth season. Ernesto, you said that's where you were first introduced with the great Jordan Peele. 
Yes. Uh, midway through the season, Mad TV added Keegan Michael Key into the mix in 2004, and it was assumed that Peel was going to be replaced by Key at some point because it's not, I guess, often you see two African American comedians in one show. So uh, it, it was again almost assumed that it was going to be some sort of a replacement. But they worked so well together, and they had great comedic chemistry. They kept both of them. So yeah, that, they're that, both hilarious. I mean, he's Keegan Michael Key is hilarious too. <laughs> he's, he's great. He's he's fantastic. I I I knew again. My introduction with him was definitely when the sh- when uh, Key and Peel started. I didn't know he was on Mad TV, and now he's everywhere. He's yeah. like he's all over the place. We can have a whatever. Last, whole another episode just on him. Exactly. Last thing I saw him in was uh, Friends from College on Netflix. Oh yes, yeah. Which was can which was canceled, and I actually and he was great, and that show was great, but he was, I yeah, that, and only lasted <laughs> two seasons. I mean, uh, you know, not to diverge, but it was it was a good show though. I'm surprised it they was. canceled it. Uh, I mean, it had like some good moments in there. Um, so so yeah, so uh, so during the so yeah, so they they had great chemistry. They both kept them on. Peel would often perform a lot of celebrity impressions on in Matt TV. Uh, most famously, James Brown, Morgan Freeman, and Forrest Whitaker. Uh, in 2008, Peel was nominated for an Emmy for his song "Fitty uh, Sad Fitty Cent," <laughs> which was a music video parody about 50 Cent and his uh, and his rival rivalry with Kanye West at the time. And that felt so long ago. Yeah, I know. Gosh. <laughs> now, like, look look where Kanye West is right now. Look where 50 Cent right is now. Then it just shows how much time has passed. Uh, between exactly. that particular uh, debacle. But I do remember the feud. It was a fun feud, at least on my end, anyway. Um, it was also in... two. So, yeah, he was nominated for that. And also in 2008, during the Writers Guild of America strike, in which all shows were on hiatus, Peel auditioned for SNL to have a recurring role to play Barack Obama. Uh, he was not picked for the role, and ultimately... Peel would remain with Mad TV for five seasons, leaving the cast at the end of the 13th season in 2008. Um, after a couple shows he appeared on on Fox and Adult Swim, uh, Peel would reunite with his former Mad TV castmate and friend Keegan Michael Key to star in his very own Comedy Central sketch series, Key and Peel, which ended up being a huge success. Uh, the series would go on to for five seasons, spanning from 2012 to 2015. Spawning from the success of the show, the duo would star and produce, with Peel having a hand on writing the script, and their first feature film together called Keanu. Have you seen that movie before? I yeah, this is funny. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Obviously, it came out in 2016, but it's like the cat, his name was Keanu, and they had to rescue him or something like yeah. that. It was funny. It was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, the bio reads when an adorable kitten of an L.A. crime kingpin unexpectedly enters the life of two cousins, which is Peel, uh, Key and Peel. Um, they would have to go on through they would have to go through tough gangs, uh, pitiless hitmen and ruthless drug dealers to get Keanu the kitten back. I guess they want to claim ownership. And that sounds like a very ridiculous premise. To say the least, but it is. <laughs> you know what? It ended up working because the film was a moderate success. It and it, it was it made a small profit and receiving fair reviews, and it currently sits on a 77 percent of Rotten Tomatoes. So that's a pretty good good review on my book. Um, after all of this, uh, so after you know he he did the movie, Peel decided to switch gears 
depart from his comedy partner, Keegan-Michael Key, and go into an entirely different direction that no one saw coming, as he decided to enter the world of horror and write and direct his first feature film, which will be the first film we're talking about today, Get Out. And, you know, and, you know I, I feel like a lot of people have this question. You know, why was there a shift in comedy to horror? And I was doing some digging, and in an interview, uh, Peel said, the reason I made a horror film is that it's my favorite genre. It's that simple. I actually started wanting to make horror thrillers first and in asking myself what that would look like. Eventually, I got what I eventually I got to what uh, Get Out is, which is in many ways my greatest fears uh, on film. So a lot of his greatest fears that he had, he put into Get Out. And he was originally hired to just write the film. But through the writing process, Peel knew that he was the only person that could make this movie. So he decided to write. I think he spoke with the, the head honchos and the producers, and uh, they agreed that he would be the perfect person to also direct the film, which given him his first opportunity to direct. And so and so there you have it. So now we're here at Get Out. And man, what, what a good call that was to make him not only like a direct I, I was reading and he did two he said he had like 200 different drafts on get out before they got to the final version of it jeez yeah <laughs> Can you imagine writing two different versions of the same thing oh boy um but yeah so now we're gonna we're gonna dive into it we're gonna talk about get out this is gonna be a spoiler review slash breakdown of the film so ernesto where were your thoughts on get out well as we mentioned before like that movie is incredible I actually enjoyed it on the first time around. I, I don't I don't know what you didn't get, <laughs> but I, I don't know, man. I don't know I don't know why you didn't get it. But I mean, you go. It's just, there's so much symbolism behind that movie, and and we talk about this when we do us too. But like the way he um, orchestrates the music into the film, like oh yeah, like I feel like sound is a very important factor in those film in his films. Hundred um, percent. Danielle. K, I don't even know how to pronounce. I'm gonna fuck his name up. Danielle <laughs> K. Yaluya. Yep, that's wrong. I'm sure that's wrong. Somebody's. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you, I think you're close though. Daniel, Daniel K. U. Yeah, yeah. I, I like your version. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we recognize we recognize him from Black Panther. Yeah. Um, uh, I think. I mean, it was really there was a lot of interesting things happening in that movie. Kind of, you know, you touched on it. I didn't know that that it was about his fears, which it makes a lot of sense. Like the interracial couple conversation, like that's a conversation me and my wife had. You know, right. it's like, yeah. is everything everything gonna be all right? Like I don't like I don't know. You, I mean, you grow up like that. You you have you have to. Unfortunately, it's a question that we have to ask, like just to make sure because we just want to make sure we're gonna we don't run into a situation like you do and get out. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No. For I mean, obviously, with Get Out, there's a little bit extreme to the mix, but that's that's Correct. the whole point of the movie. But the, the even the conversations they were having at the very beginning of the film, like uh, I believe is uh, Daniel Kau. Uh, yeah. Wow. I'm gonna say his name wrong again. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go though. Uh, Daniel Kaluya, maybe. Uh, sure. we're, we're, well, his name in the movie is Chris. Chris. Washington, so right. And it's Chris. Thank, thank you. Yes. I was about, just about to say that. Um, <laughs> But yes, yeah, so like Chris was having a conversation with his girlfriend about, you know, you know, does your parents know about me, which is a fair question to ask. And just yes. like literally it starts off right at the gate of that that common, you know, I, 
you know, that common question that can be asked when you're in an interracial relationship is like, does your parents know about me? Are they comfortable with me coming over? And they're like, no, we're fine. Like, parents are great. Little did we know, you know, <laughs> the, the what, what she followed. She lied. <laughs> <laughs> she lied about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, but you make a good point. Like, the movie starts off exactly like that. And then even shortly after, you had them driving in the car, you know, on the way to their parents' house. And then, you know, they hit a deer and then they get, you know, the police comes by and the police asked, you know, can I see your ID? Which there was nothing, uh, there was no reason for them to see the ID. And then the girlfriend was basically defending him on that. You know, it's uncredited on IMDb, but you know, the voice of the dying deer is Jordan Peele. What? Yeah, he's, well, at least according to IMDb, he is... At, on the cast list as the it says dying deer and he's one of the um announce, he's a some kind of announcer the, i i i'll have to go back and watch that at least watch that scene again like what what would you do as a dying like are you just making the noises for the dying deer it says get out dying deer <laughs> slash uncf psa narrator okay all right i i guess he was doing some murmurs, I guess, into like the, he does guess, a lot of he does a lot of voice work. So that's I don't true. That's true. Them. That's fair enough. But um, but yeah. So but but you know, at least with that that scene with the police officer, they were definitely um, uh, you know, the, he asked that question. They definitely brought up race, and especially today, you know, with between cops and African Americans, that was something that I didn't like. The film was not to save ahead of his time. There's always been an issue, but. Um, the, uh, you know, the film kind of went in that direction as well, kind of locking down the common themes of, of, you know, racial things that are happening right now. And so it was, it was interesting to see that in the movie as well. It's a really, and it's funny because I have this scene in my notes because like, it's funny. You see the total polar opposite from both of them. She's freaking out at him on the cop because he's asking, because he's asking for his identification and he's just like, it's okay. Like, but that's, that's how we're supposed, that's how we were raised. Like if a cop asks you for your ID and I, and this, that might not even be a race thing. Maybe it just, we just, we're more conscious of it mm-hmm. because we have to just be more conscious of it. It's like, don't ask questions. Don't argue. Just give him, just give him the ID and then we can just move upon our day. She's like, no, right. she like, she like turned into <laughs> what, you know, she's like the typical Karen meme. Right. What do you mean? Why does he have to show you his ID? For yeah. what purpose? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it almost, but also like, it was like her using white power, basically, which was another symbolism for the movie of like, oh, here's your white savior in this very, you know, small issue. But that's not, I mean, even look toward the end of the movie, that was definitely not the case at all either when it comes to who ends up on top in this scenario. But at least kind of going into like common tropes you see in horror movies there's always the common uh thing that the black person always dies first and in this case there's no different kind of sort of i mean we start off oh, that's, with, how the, that's how the movie and there, there's another like intro into like his fears because yeah that's, that's how the movie opens the movie opens with um andre um oh man that guy's a he's a great actor uh lakeith yeah. stanfield he, yes. he's been in a bunch of other projects um he get when he gets like I guess we well we think he gets taken and killed but right. finds that he just gets kidnapped and brainwashed and, and brainwashed or whatever yeah um yeah and that's how the movie started of just like he was even saying like he was like in this rich white neighborhood and he was noticing like somebody follow him following him and I think what a lot of this movie does is bring in very briefly like small like instances of humor 
into the mix. Now that scene yes. is not humorous by any means, but you can just tell he's very nonchalant about it. He's like kind of walking around. Honestly, it's very similar to how like maybe a, a Key and Peele sketch would go if, if that was on a show. He's just kind of walking around like, man, look at this one ass neighborhood. Like, man, these are all nice houses. Yeah. All this, kind of just walking around, and then and then all of a sudden he just kind of you know he's like, all right, no, not cool. today. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, man, look at this car falling. Uh, uh, oh, and then I'm like not the one. <laughs> <laughs> and then like he's like nope that's it i'm not not going to see her no more this is not this is not what i'm about and then like they just kind of knock him down also the song run rabbit run uh, uh, that was also another symbolism of like you know obviously running and he's like a rabbit in this situation um but also in the beginning of this movie uh you know just in the opening credits i did not know that blumhouse produced this film yeah crazy i did and, and like, damn, like Blumhouse was like, I, I don't think they were, I don't think Blumhouse produced uh, us, but they, but from what I've read, like since Blumhouse is mainly for indie films and small budget productions, like Get Out was definitely into that. But then Us was a bigger, was a bigger film. So Blumhouse didn't, you know, didn't have the, they, they couldn't budget out like what they needed for us. But Universal made a one-time exception to have Jason Blum produce uh produce us outside of his production company um and wow. yeah so like i think they really wanted him but they understood that they i think every movie that jason blum has produced was under the blumhouse productions and then universal made the exception to do this for for that film so just a testament of how much they really wanted him and they loved get out and you know at least for this for the next movie he was he was making but and it's going back to this i was very surprised to see blumhouse and at the um at the at the forefront i guess it's something i forgot i hadn't seen this movie and since that since i watched it for like the oscars that year so it's been a good two two years since i saw the movie which is crazy to think about today like damn that movie came out almost a little over three years ago i know i remember it was yesterday and everybody was ranting and raving about it mm-hmm. i mean in the care i mean the character development in this movie is exceptional like oh. it's just on point like i didn't even catch that the grandfather was the guy was the um the groundskeeper yeah mhm and then hit the whole running thing that obviously yeah. relates to the grandfather being the runner who was passed up and that, they just briefly pass over that in, it's in such the beginning a small of the part. it's yeah. a small line that literally gives away the entire movie yes exactly like, oh, yeah exactly. he was a racer and he was passed up by by an african american man yeah, Jesse Owens, not 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 yes. only this one. That he's he's the guy. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, the the in that scene, I actually wrote down in my notes. It said the he came second behind Jesse Owens in the quarter quarter file quarterfinals and missed out in the Olympics. So so he was he just came this close to being in the Olympics and Jesse Owens beat 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 him and therefore I guess at least for the grandfather as well as. Uh, I guess, you know, the family, that was probably something he always, you know, hated in his life that happened, that he was probably second place to, you know, now we realize his family is very racist, kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, they, it's like that, it's just deep-seated resentment. Yes. Like, it's, like, it could have been, like, if that was, a like, a German guy or somebody else, like, what if he had that same kind of hate towards somebody else, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that, it's it just added another layer to it because like toward the end of the movie um the the girlfriend uh what's her name her name was um uh rose her name was rose so like rose, rose when when they were like 
go get him, Grandpa. And he's like, he runs. And so, like, you know, at that point, you realize that's the grandfather that's that's in 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 that body. But you didn't I didn't realize it till this third watch through that they teased it like way in the beginning. Like you didn't even know about yeah. it. And if you were paying attention, like the running scene, like that infamous running who was running towards him, that's yeah. like the giveaway. That's the giveaway connection. Right. Is. And because you've seen the movie the first time, you it's like it's almost like, why didn't I pick up on that before? Like it's literally all this information is is right there. But you just so, gotta pay attention. The only one that I, I I didn't know I don't I still don't know is who is Georgina? Like is that somebody else's mind or is that just like a friend who they're who they're hypnotizing to take care of them? Well, Georgina is inside is the grandmother. Is it? Yeah, they they've said that. Like I must, I must say I think I missed that part then. They there was a point where. So another great symbolism, at least a great for character development. So Chris was escaping. Right. And we've also learned that Chris's mother, like, I guess, was in a car accident. And yes. Chris was just watching TV and didn't decide just to if Chris walked out his door, he would have seen his mother and probably would have saved her from the car crash. And so he always lived with that regret. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we find that about his character in the movie. So then as you know, as the movie continues and he's escaping from the house he sees Georgina like on the ground, like, yeah. like he, I think he runs her over and then he felt bad because, you know, there's still a person in there. He knows yeah. that it's in there. And so that's why he went back to go save her because he didn't go save his mother. So he went back to save her, bring her back in the car, end up costing him just a little bit because Georgina came back and she was still crazy with the grandmother inside. And so that was like his way of like saving you know, hopefully maybe saving that whatever person was inside. But I believe I don't know who I don't think the movie ever told us who Georgina, like the real person, the real Georgina. I don't. The wait, real I don't George- yeah, well, we saw that. All we saw was that picture of her. But maybe she was just one of her um, just like one or just somebody from the litter. Maybe it was a girlfriend. Maybe that was a yeah. one girl. Oh, maybe no, that, that was, was a, that was the girlfriend. That's right. That's right. That was it was um, it, they were going through the photos. And when he was discovering that, like, his rose, one of her, yes, exactly, one of her prospects. That's right. And she went down the female, you know, she went, I guess, went down that road for that one for her grandmother, probably like a one a one time case because all the other one were African American males. Um, and then it's also interesting that you know the the whole family had a different quote unquote recruitment process because at the very beginning you saw the brother, you just kind of take out Lakeith, the uh, Keith Steinfeld. That was his process. Mm-hmm. He just beat him up, un- put him unconscious, and that's it. Whereas Rose's approach was like getting to know them, form a relationship, easing them into the house, and then, you know, capturing them and never leaving. Yeah, them. she was she would seduce them. Right, exactly. But that was like her twisted, messed up way of getting to them. It's like you could have easily just, you know, uh, you know, just beat him up and it's like, you know, you know, and go through that process like the brother did. But I think her form of like sick torture or you know whatever you never sick thing she had in her mind that was her way of like having her fun and moving on to the next one which was again sick and her character in itself was crazy like she was just a crazy (laughs) crazy girl like the the, especially the one the serial scene which you know a lot of people to talk about (laughs) you know uh (laughs) Where she's sitting there eating the cereal and drinking milk from a glass like separately, like yes. it actually. You, did you know that it actually lost? It actually launched like a meme challenge. 
No, I did not know that. Yeah, Jordan Peele would tweet it out, the Get Out Challenge. People were eating cereal out of a bag. <laughs> and, just, and like with, with the like, was she dipping the milk or, or dipping the, she, the she would she would take the cereal, she would dip it, and then she would just bite into like the little sides of it, like half of it, like yeah. And she's just sitting there, she's listening to the I've had the time of my life. Yes, <laughs> she's listening. I've had the time of my life in her turtleneck sweater and sipping it. And she's actually look. If you look on the screen, she's googling top. Um, NCAA prospects is what she's right. looking up. And, and so, <laughs> like I, you know, I don't know if like, and, and this is kind of like maybe deep diving into that world, or at least who she is. So it's like, is there like a list of like people who want to be in? Like, is there like, did somebody ask, hey, I want like this model, and so she's searching for it, or if she's like, oh, I haven't tried an NCAA prospect before, let me. Let me go down that avenue. Like I don't yeah, know what she's what got because she's first. she's got money, so she can go wherever. Like her resources are unlimited, so she can go wherever and she can get into wherever. Right, but Just like to kind, of, kind of to show her, like that was kind of showing her privilege and power yeah. as like a, you know, as a white female. I and I I but I but I don't know if that was like upon request or like that was her like doing her own research on like was is it like her a own research. List? Uh, like there could be like a laundry list because there was a lot of like rich white people at that party that they were basically pimping out Chris to different people. And so I don't know if like people are requesting these types of like like, you know, African-Americans or if they were like if she's just doing her own research and they kind of get whatever she comes back with. Actually, I actually had to do research on because um, I noticed that there was these like there was something behind her in the scene, but I couldn't make out what it was. So a uh, business insider did an article. They did an interview with Allison Williams, who plays. Um, oh, my God. For Kate. Kate is her name. Uh, no, Rose. Rose. Rose, who yeah. plays Rose. And she talks about the scene and how like that wasn't even supposed to be in the film. That was just like a one off thing that Peel and her put together. And they only shot it like one or two times. What, what, what scene again? The, the scene where she's dipping the cereal oh, in the cereal? milk. Yeah. So behind her. Is framed pictures of all her past conquests. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even see that. <laughs> yeah, it shows. It's a, it's a shot where she's looking at. She's looking into the laptop and she's drinking the milk. And right above her, above her bed, are framed pictures of all the guys who she's been with. Oh my God! Like, I wonder where was that? Like, did she just put those back up after like she felt like she you know took over Chris because like they were in a room and I think that stuff definitely something he would have pointed out. I know. I mean, she, I guess she was gone for a while, but we don't know how much time has passed That's true. since she took him downstairs. So maybe now that she's like this conquest is done, she can put her room and stuff back the way back the way she wants. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, talking about like other foreshadows in the movie, they, you know, as the father, like when the father was like taking everybody or taking Chris through the house and kind of showing him things, they they did a lot of like foreshadowing in that one like long scene one of them we already talked about with you know the grandfather another one that he talked about very briefly was like yeah that's the basement it has dark mold don't go down there and that was it like and you as the audience you kind of buy it because like i mean maybe i bought it i didn't even catch that (laughs) yeah and obviously the basement the shit's down there um so yeah so that was like one of those things that they did uh they the, the and also like Going with the testament of Rose, the character, you know, she was pretty much selling 
herself that she is innocent throughout the whole movie. So yeah, so Renessa, did you see the, the twist coming that she was part of the family or did you, did you kind of like, was that a surprise to you or, or, or not? So the first time it was a total surprise to me. The second, and then I spent most of the second time watching it wondering like, how did she, like, was it a giveaway? Did they really give it away? And I don't, I don't think that they did. I think they really good, did a really good job of covering it up. And, um, and then that turn, I don't know, for me, that was the big, for the first time, that was the big turn for me. They did a really good job of hiding it, of making her seem like she wasn't. Or maybe she was just so well rehearsed and she's done it so many times that she already, she already knows exactly what to do. Right, exactly. And so, like, I was, I was kind of in the same boat. I felt like I, part of me felt surprised, but the other part of me felt like I kind of saw that coming because the rest of the family is kind of crazy. And they were, but I mean, regardless, they did a really good job setting it up because, like, I was, at the very least, I was still questioning on whether or not she was, like, on the side of Chris or on the side of the family. So, yeah. like, I was still, that, that was always a question, and I don't feel like we ever got that answer until, obviously, at the very end when, um, uh, well, at the very end, but when they gave that big twist. And it was so funny because at that scene, again, kind of adding in uh, Jordan Peele's humor, it was like, she's like, he, the Rose was like, babe, I can't find it. He's like, and, she, and she's like, and he's like, Rose, where's the damn keys? And she's going in there. Keys, Rose. Keys, yes. <laughs> Keys, Rose. And then she's like, you know, but you know, I can't give you those keys, babe. And like, she's like straight face. And then he just drops all of his shit. He's like, ah, damn it. You know, like (laughs) you you can tell like that was like maybe like the audience's reaction. I felt like his character often has like what the audience would be thinking as well. There was another scene where like he was accusing Georgina for like unplugging his phone, which is great foreshadowing again, because like they wanted his phone to die. And uh, they were like the I'm not sure if it was Rose that was unplugging it or Georgina that was unplugging it. But either way, it was being unplugged. And the movie took the time to show you he was plugging it back in. And it's funny because when he was having that conversation with her, she's like, I apologize. I didn't you know I was picking it up. You know, I was cleaning it and I must have just slipped off the court. I, I am deepest apology. And then she went on this whole other rant about something else. And then when she left, uh, Chris goes, that is a that's a crazy bitch right there. Like it was like, that's almost like that bitch is crazy. So like, like that was something I felt like the audience would be thinking about as well. I think Peel knew that. And so he added that in to the movie as many times as he can, especially with, with uh, Rod from TSA. Like he was just, <laughs> he was, was the like, great, he was the yeah. best, he was <laughs> the best comic. And I like that. They, he was only in, in like short spurts. It was yeah. like, you get like little, you get like little spurts of comedy here and there. It was great. I yeah, love his I, character. And it was great because it was like he's like uh, he's like how'd you find me? It's like I I'm I'm Ron. I'm for, I work for the TSA. We get shit T-S done. TS motherfucking A. We yeah. get shit done. <laughs> we get shit done, right? And it was such like a lighthearted like again. I I'm not sure if the movie needed a comedic break, but it definitely worked for the film regardless. Because but also there was moments where he was serious because he was actually actively trying to find his friend, and they also went and he went to like call the police. And, and, you know, and to, to the tech, maybe FBI, I'm not sure exactly who he went to, but they were like not taking him seriously as well. But it was it's his whole genre because it's not just horror. It's like a horror comedy. It's right. like a weird it's like a weird blend. And you kind of and you actually get elements. I think you get ele- elements of that in both films. Right. And that's for sure. Um, and then you also have like these crazy 
like things that we've never seen before. At least I've never seen before. And that one of those is the therapy scene where like he's like, you know, you think you, you know that something's up. And I didn't realize it till this moment that it was just a big setup because she was trying to get him into the sunken place. Mm-hmm. The, the mother was and like slowly like spinning the spoon around the cup. And and you think it's just like him trying to quit smoking. And they didn't really give any alternative, you know, alternative motives other than that. But the whole vibe was just very creepy. And it was basically one big setup for him to live in the sunken place and basically be out of his body. I wonder if him being a smoker is one of her factors that helps her pick her targets. Ooh, like, that's good. Pick a pick a target that has a habit that we can use to get them to use a hypnosis. Right, like let's have a good enough excuse to be like, hey, you should probably try my mom's hypnosis thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, another. Another great thing about that scene was the audio because there were it was funny because there was a moment, especially with the surround sound and how sound is important in this. And it was like, was it raining when when your mother passed away? Like, I think that was one of the questions. And he's like, yeah, it's like, do you hear the rain? And as she said that, like the right speaker, I was hearing uh, like little droplets, little droplets of rain, like a shh. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I hear the rain. Jesus, like I didn't I didn't pick on that before. That's probably a good thing for like sound quality. But like this little details that I didn't pick up before that. I don't know if it was like if it's even started that early. But I just loved how like, you know, sound is so important in this movie and like kind of little added bonuses were in there, uh, especially in that scene. And then another thing I didn't lo- notice when they were like kind of like uh, when when the party scene was happening. And like I said before, they were basically pimping him out to possible buyers like for some reason i didn't pick up on that that that's exactly what they were doing it's just like him showing around people and it it works both ways because one you have those awkward interactions with people especially you know and they they showcase this very beautifully in the movie of like he's an african-american talking to which which, (laughs) rich white people and they're trying to relate to him be like oh yes i i voted for obama and I, you yeah. know, I love and, Tiger. I love Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the best that ever played the sport. Like they're trying to relate with them, but it just comes off in all the, the worst ways possible. And it just makes the situation awkward. And then you have, then you see that, uh, um, he, and he sees, uh, the Keith, uh, Steinfeld character. He sees him in the crowd. He's like, Oh, finally another brother here. And he turns around. He's like, ah, yes. How are you doing this evening? And he's <laughs> completely different from the character we saw at the beginning of the movie. Kind of going back to your point about the other people being there and they're saying, like, you know, how they love Tiger. Like, another character that was not really a main character, but he was important, was the blind guy, which is the guy yes. who bought him. Like, he explains to him the whole thing about them being weird. Like, oh, some of them just want to be strong. And then, like, showing clips of, of flashes. Some of them just want to relive this again. Like, Showing him other people, other people's fears too. So that was another. I guess that was another way. Uh, Peel was trying to throw fear, other people's fears, into there. Or those maybe those are his of growing old. Yeah, that's a good point because I guess you know if you're rich and you have all this power and money, the last thing you want to do is lose it. So exactly. what do you do? You you uh, you know try to find a way to continue that. It's kind of like a, a form of. Uh, the fountain of the fountain of youth or, um, you know, longevity of life, kind of extending your exactly. life 
And that, that's something I didn't really think about. That yeah, that that's basically what they were doing. And then the part that was all messed up about it is that they were just choosing only African Americans to do that. Like you could have had that premise and have it with any type of race and any type of social class, or you know, maybe you were just looking for you know well-fit people so you can just transfer to the bodies but they were specifically going for african-americans and that's the part that's like you know very shitty but also there's like and that was that was the whole point of the movie is like they were just basically using them uh for for like for their gain i think there was a line that the father used in the movie again going back to that scene where he is talking to um talking to chris and showing him around the house the father said, it's a privilege to experience another person's culture. And and like, like again, another thing that they kind of just threw in there is like a, a quick one line that kind of, you know, foreshadows what this movie is about. And like the, the hidden messed up uh, themes that are along this, this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I also liked that the... Uh, the the silent auction basically the bingo another thing i didn't i knew that they were kind of trying to get him but it was just like i feel like a lot of things made sense for me or maybe just like after a two-year break from the movie you just pick like it just the whole movie just seems more clear now and what the total message was and Mm -hmm. so i like the bingo like or even like they mentioned it like there was a scene where uh chris was trying to take a photo of um of i think what was his name adrian or um, the Keith Steinfeld, uh, Andre, his name was Andre. And he was trying Andre. to take a photo. Yeah. They were trying to take a photo of him and he was like, uh, like in the flash went off and, uh, and then like, they kind of reverted him back to, you know, his, his true self. And he's like, you got to run. You just got to get out of here. Like they said, the line in the movie. So, you know, points for them, uh, the title of the movie, I should say, uh, but yeah. they were like, you gotta get out, you gotta you get, get out. out. <laughs> And then, and then, like, they took him, like, I guess they re-hypnotized him, and they, uh, you know, it's like, sorry about that, you know, I must go home, I, you know, I'm feeling very ill, and then the, and the father goes, who wants to play bingo? And everyone's like, oh, all excited about that, and it wasn't until he said it, and then I saw the scene where the bingo was like, oh, they're not, they're not actually playing bingo, they're, they're trying to see who's going to buy him to be in his body. And it, there, that's that moment because at that point she takes him to go on a walk and at first you think at first when i first saw it i was like oh she's just trying to comfort him like like for what for what the scene what what it was but what she actually was doing was just getting him away from the house so that they can buy him right exactly and i guess you know there's some other thing like going back to the to the blind character like you were saying he didn't i i, I think he knew he was blocked i think that much he knew but like he like he didn't he didn't want him for the other reasons why everybody else wanted, like it wasn't for strength there wasn't for, you know, youth. It was more like he wanted him for his eyes because he knew he had good, uh, like creativity. A good creativity and a, like a, he had a good eye for photography and he wanted that. That is that you just brought up. That's a really great point. That is like almost, it's almost a deciding factor of what happens in the movie since he's the one who buys him. But also it's a strange connection, weird connection for me for the movie us because in that in there uh lapita nyango's character her double she tells her it's because you can dance she mentioned something to her about it's because you can dance is what is what caused this whole thing to happen and we're going to talk about us here in a minute but it's a strange i just think it's a strange connection that 
he's using create someone's creativity as a turning point for the film. Right. And, 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 and it wasn't about race, even though this whole movie is about race, but in this particular instance, it wasn't about it, which I guess is a good, like a good, like uh, I don't want to say parallel, but just like a good, another element added to the movie that just makes this movie so great. It shows how much he values creativity in an individual because he wrote, he wrote that into both films. I don't know. Something, just something weird that, that I just picked up on. <laughs> no, very true. And uh, there was, uh, you know, and then I want to talk about the scene where he's actually, you know, they finally got him and he's like trying to get out and, you know, uh, no pun intended on the title there. I just said it. Uh, but yeah, he's trying to get Teo. Uh, and like they had like this creepy video playing, basically explaining what the process is. Another interesting element. It's it's almost like, hey, this is this is what it is right now. Like we got you and this is what's going to happen to you. And you're going to be in the sunken place and you're going to be like, basically, they they're still there. They're just like an observer. And I think they even said that in the movie It's like you are going to be uh, a bystander into the rest of, I guess, the rest of your life. Yeah, you're going to be in the he's barely. So that means all of them. That means the main person controlling them is the is whoever the person who bought them. So that means there there's like dual personalities living in there. They're battling right. to who's gonna be in the top. That's that's another that's strange. I <laughs> that's know. <weird. laughs> but but also it's like are they having internal conversations with one, with one another? Like are they connected, Ooh. or that's are a, they? That's, that's the point. Right. Or are they just seriously like, hey, it's almost like you're living your life knowing there's some like another mind in there, but you don't you don't you don't care for that. Like you're kind of ignoring it if they can't talk to one another. And I guess they can only come out in those moments when they get those flashes of light. When right. They, when they get, you know, you see it in their eyes. That must be them coming. I want, that's probably them coming back from the sunken place to the forefront. Right. So I wonder. I wonder what it's like. Like, is it like a battle in between them at that point? Is it two people know. conflicting for who's taking over? And right. Like the hypnosis is obviously what knocks them down and pushes them back down. But that's weird. And I also love just. I mean, we could talk. For forever about just the whole cinema the cinematography surrounded around them showing the sunken place was right. beautifully done oh yes that's for sure they like they, they man i mean i feel like a whole a whole other movie could be probably dealt with the life of somebody who has been captured like we can in the, we can probably in the second place yeah we can probably have a whole movie of like uh andre's character like we can have like you know lakeith seinfeld he's a, a well-known actor in himself. He's incredible. He's incredible. Yeah. He could do it. He could pull he could a movie off like that. Oh yeah. And like have him do it and have dual personalities and like it would be like, you know, it's it's almost like a different version of like it's almost like the behind the scenes of Get Out. I got it. Okay. So I'm gonna relate it. So think about so they just they just released the the re-releasing Twilight like she, the lady who wrote the Twilight books oh, she right. re-released the first book but from Edward's perspective. Right. So what if what if the he redid Get Out, but he did it from Andre's perspective? So it's during that same time period yes. of his character, but instead of watching what um, Chris's character is going through, you're watching Andre. But it leads up, but the whole movie is like leading up to the point to where he flashes and brings him back to life, and then that in itself is a story in itself. And and you can even move on from that scene too, like like what, he goes what home happened with the lady, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And like, and like, does he like, and, and you know, it's funny and it's a bad, 
it could that could even be a comedy of like because just how Andre's character is like he was like nope not not about that I'm not doing that anymore like he was like already like done with that situation so you can always tell like what the hell am I in right now what who who is this lady what what are we doing (laughs) are you gonna make me have sex with her again oh my god (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that could easily be its own thing. Um, I want to, you know, we, we briefly talked about the deer and the deer was very prominent in the, um, in, in that when he was captured in the basement and I kind of want to bring that up because I was, I remember reading something about the symbolism of the deer. And so the very beginning, you know, they, they were on the road and they hit him, they hit the deer and the deer was slowly dying. And, uh, Chris was like longing like like intensely staring at the deer and it was it was like i think and i think i got it this time was like him like he was like relating to basically the dying deer like he was about to go into a situation that he was you know basically uh like he was you know slowly dying himself and as the movie progressed or it or what if it's Maybe that's why he was so captivated by it is because maybe he's like, well, what if this is what my mom was like when she got hit and run? Oh, that's a good idea. That, that, that's a, probably a better point. <laughs> no, but no, but no, but you got me there. You helped me yeah. get there. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think about that until you said something. But then like you see, you know, the deer comes back when he's in the basement because now it's on the mantle. So the way that I see it was like, all right, I killed the deer, you know, for, you know, kind of parallel to I captured Chris. Now I'm going to put him on the wall as my trophy. And therefore he is now the trophy. They won the, he was the better buyer. Uh, you know, the blind guy bought him and now he is the trophy of, you know, of, you know, moving forward to this, to this African-American, I'm not sorry, this, uh, from the blind, from the blind person, like he gets to live in his trophy now because he was the highest bidder. Like, it's like, he's going to be put on display for everyone to see more or less. And that's, that was kind of like the parallel I got. And then it was also great that the, he actually used the deer to kill, to kill people with it. It's kind of like, fuck your trophy. This is a weapon now. Also, this is another weird parallel between both films. And maybe this is a testament to his writing in both films. There's an animal that's more sacrificed, more or less. And us, it's the rabbit. And in here, it's the deer. It's a deer. Yeah. That's a, that's a, just, that's a, just, just another strange parallel. I just, I just picked up on from, you know, like why do both films have the, almost the same thing? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of similarities between both films, even though the premise is vastly different, but it, it's, oh. it's weird. It, it's weird that now with only two movies under his belt and they're only two years apart, like between like for us being introduced to Jordan Peele in the horror genre and with him produce, you know, him directing get out and us, it only took three years to be like, that's a Jordan Peele movie. That's a Jordan Peele thing. It's like, it's very, it's very, distinct. it's very distinct. Like it's very like not much time has gone. It's not to say like you've been watching Steven Spielberg movies all your life, you know, since you, you know, since you were born and watching them from the seventies and the eighties and nineties and today. And all of a sudden like, Oh yeah, those are common themes. in and, and a Spielberg movie. Now you're looking at like a fresh director who is up and coming. You're basically seeing the work from the ground up and our two movies in, he already has a style. He already has his own thing. Like, you know, like, oh, that's a complete Jordan Peele move right there. And you you feel like he hasn't even hit his peak yet. I feel oh, like I feel like that's a, I've, I have this feeling like we're building up like this is all background work. 
for some epic thing that he's gonna produce. Like oh, you yeah. know, like you know, like every like every producer, director, like they have that one project that's like that's it. That's that's it. That's me. Like yeah. that's the one you know and everything else is secondary. For sure. Um and so like I I I mean overall this film was was fantastic. I I'm surprised it took me a minute to get there, but I'm glad that I got there. You know, even if it took me a year to get there, I'm happy that like I was able to like realize the importance of this movie and like so many symbols and so many foreshadowing is like the I, I feel like Jordan Peele uh, and uh, kind of uh, like what makes a great director and it's like if you if you have like if if you make people come back and watch it again and you have a completely different experience then you you got something going on there ex expert writing like incredible yes. writing like that just shows you how much thought he puts into his projects that it's not just like something that he spews out and then unfortunately you can you tell the difference between a project you can tell when somebody's put a lot of thought and process yes. into whatever project they produce as opposed to some like a one-off comedy or something like that right exactly like you can tell that you know every line every verse everything that is being done in this movie has a purpose and a reason shot Every shot, every sound, everything. There's not a wasted frame. Like, not one frame of this film is wasted. Correct. That's I totally agree. Um, do you know about the alternate ending of the film? No. No, there was an alternate ending that was supposed to be in the movie. And I uh, I knew about it, and I, I kind of rewatched it this morning to just get a better idea of it. So, here, so the ending of the movie, you know, he kills Rose, and a police car comes well, up. Well, he doesn't kill her. He shoots her in the stomach. And she's presumed to bleed out and die. But we don't ever, you know, this is a horror movie. You don't ever actually see her, like, really, really die. Nobody's Man. really dead in a horror movie unless their head's getting chopped off <laughs> and they're blown up. That's for real. Fair like, they're that's all, fair. it's like, oh, guess she's coming back. <laughs> right. That's very true. So we presume, she's presumed dead. And then all of a sudden we see the cop car show up. And that's when everybody in the movie was like, oh, shit. Like and and you know like and you know it's weird to have that point and before I talk about the alternate ending, talk about that the real ending the one that made the final cut like the fact that we live in the society we live in today and we uh, we knew everything that happened in the movie and as soon as the cop car shows up, you already know th how bad this could be like it just looks bad and you know from where you are like what type of I, I think there were I think this was in filmed in not a film but like, maybe filmed but also I think this film was taking place in Alabama. So you already know that based on their setting and based on how things are happening here in America and especially the relationship between cops and African-Americans, you know that as soon as the lights come up, something bad's about oh, to shit. happen. Like, exactly. Oh, shit. This, this could not work out for him. <laughs> exactly. But the way that we end the movie was all of a sudden we see, we see Rod coming in for the rescue and everyone's like, you get the oh, happy, you, get the, you get the happy ending. Exactly. Well, in the alternate ending, it was not so happy. It was, <laughs> <laughs> he so he just finished you know presumably killing rose and the real cop showed up and instantly took him and like put him in the back seat and then you have uh and then it cut to six months later and you see him in jail and he's talking with rod uh like from from the phone from the from the from the prison and and rod was still trying to like help him out plead his case and you got chris going he's like no, man, don't stop. Stop trying. I appreciate it. But 
It's anything you're going to do is not going to work. I'm here. It's almost like Chris came to peace of what the reality of the situation was. Oh, my God. I feel like that would have been such that would have been I felt like that would have been a better ending. Yeah. And like literally the movie starts off with the same uh, Swahili music that was in the beginning. And he's just like, hey, Rod, you just got to you know stop what you're doing. Like this isn't going to work. I, I've come to peace with this. This is the rest of my life. And like basically he he came to terms with the fact that like I stopped this. I, I basically killed this entire family. The house is, you know, presumably burned down because I believe there was a fire at some point. And yeah, like yeah, yeah. this, 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 whatever this family's doing is over. Like I, I did that. But now, like because of the situation, I'm now pretty much living in the consequence consequences for all my actions, even though they were all good and justified. But no one's going to believe what what just what just happened. So I'm just going to stay here in the prison for the rest of my life because I've been charged of killing all of these people. And that was he probably feels he feels at peace. He's like, I know I probably shouldn't have killed those people, probably shouldn't have killed those people, but they deserved it. They deserve right. like, you know, they, they deserve to die. And, I, and if that means I have to spend the rest of my life in jail so that these people aren't around anymore, then I'm fine with that. But it also kind of plays into because, yes, he's guilty of killing those people. But like he is like if you think about it, uh, he's obviously innocent in his own right. You know, I mean, like yeah. that, that that just shows you that just kind of that would have been a play. That, I guess that would have been too much of a play on like wrongful convictions and people like the incarceration process. Maybe he felt like that would have taken away from the film. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because there was a commentary about the, the the alternate ending. And I was listening to what Jordan Peele had to say. And he said that that was the ending of the film for a very long time. And the only reason why he did it, funny enough, that when he was writing this, he was under the Obama era and he felt like that we were getting better as a society between, you know, the relationship with Americans and African-Americans. And, you know, he felt like that because we were like, maybe we were moving into a different direction. And he felt like instead of having the ending of like this, he wanted to have an ending where he comes out as the hero instead, giving people like something to like, yes, he did that. He, 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 he was, he, he prevailed this, this situation. He came out on top. And he wanted more of a happy ending because he was riding this under the Obama administration. And, you know, you know look, look at three short years can can change on that for different perspective. I really I really feel like if the, he had had that other ending, like that, I feel like it would have put the movie up on another level. Agreed. Because then because then hero is successful, but he's also like he's scarred from his journey. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he's living with his scars from his journey. But he knows in his heart what he did was right. Like, right. I felt like it would have been more of a personal. I don't know. I felt like it would have been more of a personal, better story if it was not to take away from how great the movie is. Right. In fact, it only tells you how great the movie is, is that like, yeah, the ending is, is also more important. But like the journey is also important as well. Agreed. So I don't know. I, I like both. I like both ideas for the end. Yeah. I think I don't think like. I don't think he made a bad call for the ending because, I, again, it just gave it more of a happy ending. I felt like the movie was more complete, maybe, with the happier ending. Uh, but with the other side of it, it just it, – it, like you said, it would have went into, like, a different level of, like, meaning and, like, more things you can think about when this movie was, you know, with that alternate ending. 
I felt um, like it would have been more. It also felt like it would have been more realistic. It, it would have been more yeah. bookend because then, because then, then you're like, okay, so the cops they blamed him for it because now we're left with this. All right, well, he just burnt like all these people just died and that house is burned down, and the cop already knew and they already have record of the cop going there right to see the, the cop already knew that that's where they were going because they got pulled over when they hit the deer right you know what i mean there's already there's already that connect there's already that like he already he set it up from the beginning for right the cop, for him to be linked to them through the police that's fair yeah but also i i also love a good subverting your expectations of course of course yeah. who doesn't love i mean who doesn't love a happy ending but i felt like it would have the movie i don't know it would have been a totally different movie if oh, you would have ended it like yeah. that. Like you would you would have obviously you'd walk away from it different. Yes. But man, I want to I'm going to have to watch that alternate ending now. Yeah, it's but, on YouTube to find it just type in get out alternate ending and it's there and there's a version without his commentary and there's a version with his commentary. So I definitely recommend if you if you've never seen it before, definitely give it a look. I only recently found out that there was an alternate ending, so that's fairly new to me. Um a couple of other fun facts that you probably did not know about Get Out. Um, the opening of the film was inspired by the opening of Halloween, the 1978 film. Uh, uh, Peel described it as a subversion of the perfect white neighborhood that he was in. And so you have, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. And so you have like uh, Lakeith uh, Steinfield kind of walking through this perfect white neighborhood and then all of a sudden getting adopted again. So like, and then kind of like what, uh, Halloween was was then I forgot how the movie started, but then like then like there was a murder at the very beginning of the movie. I don't really remember, but I think it was along those lines of like I, I understand what he's saying. Um, exactly. regarding regarding to the sunken place, do you know what it technically means? No, I'm nope. something psychological or <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. It mean it, it's according to the sunken place. The meaning behind that is it's like we're uh, marginalized. So no matter how hard we scream, the system silences us. That was the meaning of the sunken place and what he came to terms. And that's what, you know, we even so. So maybe that answered our question of like, can't they talk with the person that's taking over the body? And it looks like the answer is no. Wow. So there's just a path. Oh, you know what they did meant the blind guy does tell him that it's like you're you're a, you're a, a you're a passive passenger. Yes, that's so right. You're just watching. You're watching. Can you what the hell that would be like? <laughs> yeah. Watching somebody else. And I like how they did the sunken place. Um, you know where it's like the eyes are the windows to the soul. Like they. Yes. I feel like they re they really show you that because then when they close his eyes, like it just goes dark. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Um. Uh. Do you know? You want to take a guess, Ernesto? Who was originally up for the role, or at least Jordan Peele wanted up for the role for Chris? Instead of uh, Daniel playing the role, he had somebody else in mind. You want to take a guess was who it, it was? Keegan Michael Key? No, it wasn't. It was actually Eddie Murphy. Really? I feel like he's too. He felt like he's too old. Or it would have been a different movie. You would have had yeah. to. You would have had to change the girlfriend to make her older. I mean, I guess you could have. That could have worked. Because then, well, hmm. It, it's funny. Seen, I could see that. It was funny. You you nailed it right on the head. The reason why he subverted from Eddie Murphy was because he was too old for the role. And not that Eddie Murphy's old, but I feel right. like for the story for the story that with the story that they told, you would you needed a young African American character. Right. Agreed. Um the uh but uh Eddie Eddie Murphy's work was he he was Jordan Peele was a spot and inspired by Eddie Murphy's work through uh several comedy specials. He took inspiration from what some of the some of the racial jokes he had to say 
and Living in White America, and that have was. Have you ever have you ever seen Eddie Murphy do stand up? I, I think I've, I, I've seen. I think I might have seen one or two of them. But it's, Eddie it's Murphy is probably one of the greatest comedians that's ever lived. He is fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I feel like I might need to do like actually sit down and watch his work because I yeah watch I mean, one I've, watch one of his specials watch Raw watch Raw that's one of like his most famous one. Okay, I will do that. Um, in a a, a a a variety a variety fair screening when they originally screened Get Out. Uh, Jordan Peele was, you know, was there for a Q&A. And basically, I kind of said this earlier that George, Jordan Peele explained that when he wrote the screenplay, it was during the term of the uh, the President Barack Obama or former President Barack Obama term. Um, and when racism when racism was believed to be the thing of the past, he thought there would be uh, be much interest in this movie uh, in such an optimistic climate. Uh, so he wrote mainly for himself which the increasing discussion regarding violence against African-Americans and the coming of the Black Lives Matter movement in years later, he knew that the time was right to make this movie and, you know, have this with very heavy themes of race and stuff like that. So it's funny that he even he said that, like, this was the time to, to write this movie, but then he changed the ending from what he originally had. Yeah. Um, the main theme was like a so, uh, man, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Uh which I think that's the title of the song. Um, it was sung in Swahili uh, with the exception of the English word brother, a word which composer Michael uh, Abels, which we featured uh, on our Instagram page at box office underscore bingers, recognizing the music behind the movie. We featured his work when he did us. And we'll talk about some of the music choices he used in us uh, in, you know, in a few minutes. But he uh, he was, you know, Jordan Peele reached out to uh, for him. Well, he Jordan Peele wanted an African-American composer, first of all, because that's not often. And go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that was something that he looked for. He wanted the entire production crew to be completely African-American. Yeah, I, I believe you're right. And. And, you know, when I was looking for, you know, there's not a lot of African-American composers out there. There really is not not the one who does film. I mean, there might be a few who actually do like music and different settings. But for film, there isn't much. So when he found him, he actually, you know, the original scores was uh, Michael Abels. Michael Abels had never worked for film before, ever. But he specialized in traditional concert music with influences in blues, jazz and African music. Uh, Jordan Peele found him. Uh, found one of Abel's or- orchestral uh, compositions, Urban Legends, on YouTube, and decided this would be the guy. <laughs> it's funny. He's like, this guy could terrorize people in a movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, based on some of his music choices. And so with that, uh, you know, the composer decided to use, you know, this song in Swahili uh, with the exception of the word bl- brother. Uh, felt like that had a special universal meaning among black people that did not need translation. According to Abel's, the the voices that were sung represent the souls of black slaves and lynching victims trying to warn Chris to get away. The translation of the lyrics is brother run, listen to the elders, listen to the truth, run away, save yourself. Jeez, that is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. That's fucking crazy. I never knew that. Yeah, just imagine like you find this guy from YouTube and he puts that much symbolism 
into one of the opening songs of the movie. Jesus Christ. Um, also, there was uh, Jordan Peele said the title is a reference to often something you hear when black when a black audiences are screaming at the at the screens. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. get out, get out, yeah. no girl, get out. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um so yeah there's a little fun fact for you there um anything else you want to add ernesto before we move on to the next film it's a great movie um if you haven't seen it yet i mean we just spoiled the shit out of it but you can still go watch it (laughs) pretty much Uh, obviously due to the success of this film uh jordan peele became the first african-american writer producer and director to earn more than a hundred million dollars in a film well deserved. It was a great well, film. Well deserved. Uh, uh, he Jordan Peele was the fourth black writer to be nominated for an Oscar for best original screenplay. He was the first black writer to actually win the award back in 2018 when during that award ceremony. Um, but yeah, you know, the Get Out won for best original screenplay at that award season. Um, before you know, Jordan Peele moved on to us. He was also one of the many produ- producers behind Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Spike Lee had a monster producer. Another great movie. Another great movie that we can you know, talk about all day and Spike Lee's work, no less, all day. Exactly. Uh, but now, you know, after the success of Get Out, you got to move on to the next project. And so Jordan Peele decided to move on to Us. So Ernesto, how, how was your initial thoughts when Us came out? It was another incredible... I actually... So I enjoyed the movie the first time around, but I I appreciated and really enjoyed it on the second watch, uh, the second time around. Um, I love that the opening, you know, he has the monkey, his production company, Monkey Paw Productions. Yep. And now you see it's the monkey hand, but it's spinning the cup from Get Out. So it's yes. like a callback to the movie, the one, the movie that started it all for them. Right. Um, another great movie with um, a beautiful score. Uh, lots of symbolism. Um, there was just there was a lot that I didn't pick up on the first time around that I that I picked up now. Lupita Nyong'o playing a dual role, playing her uh, I guess um, doppelganger, her, her doppelganger, her others, her other self. Um, you know, they go to the beach, and then this family they begin to start terrorizing them, and then we go through all all the you know, all the shit that's involved with that. You know, one thing that got me is, you know, the little girl when she's walking up and you see the guy holding the sign, Jeremiah 11.11. It's a call yep. to a Bible verse, um, which I actually had to look up what the Bible verse means. And I found this entertainment um, weekly article that they, they literally talk about just that. Um, so from the King James Bible, it reads, Therefore, this said the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them which that they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. So it's just like, it's very, it's a symbolism saying like, you know, evil shit's going to happen. You're not, and you're not going to be able to get, get away from it, which is basically what the whole fucking movie is about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, that's it in a T right there. Literally. Uh, literally. Eleven <laughs> uh, Eleven is showcased throughout the entire, th- basically throughout the entire movie. 
um, there was a moment where I was really focusing this time around the 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 symbolism of eleven eleven, and there was I didn't pick up on it the first two times I watched it, but I got it on the third try or third time around. Uh, it was right before or, or no, it was right after the beat scene, and um, uh, what's what's his what the character's name? Winston Duke's character um, is uh, well, Winston Duke's character, like the father, Gabe. You, Gabe, there you go. He was watching TV, and as like she was going in to check the children, uh, the TV said that the baseball game was a tie. Was a tie. It was eleven eleven. The score was eleven eleven. And I was, and then she stopped on her tracks after she heard that. And then the movie was continuing on uh, from there. And then the little boy noticed when she was tucking them in, like, look, it's eleven eleven on the clock, and like that was like haunting her as well. There was um, there was let's see, in addition to uh obviously the sign he was holding the sign like the the old the i guess the homeless man i guess you would say or the guy who was, 11, 11. yeah the one that was kind of like foreseeing the future um the carnival worker as there there was uh, one of the carnival workers that in 1980 in 1986 one of the one of the twins in the in the present day were both wearing a t-shirt with the band black flag the logo in which consists of four vertical black bars that resembled the number 1111 that was also there. Ah. Um, and then again, at the end of the movie, when the ambulance is driving down the windy long road, uh, when the camera's panning out, the ambulance number is also 1111 on the top of the, Oh damn. I didn't catch that one. Yeah. I had to look these up because I was actually doing, again, doing some digging on, on the symbolism there. And I, those, the two ones I just mentioned were also like ones I didn't see before. So there is like a lot of I, I mean, there could be more too that we didn't know we didn't notice, but yeah, eleven eleven is definitely showcased throughout this whole this whole movie. And in the tur- here's another movie where like the turn on the first like literally both movies hit me structurally the same way. I don't know if that makes sense, but like <laughs> the first like when I watched Get Out for the first time, like I didn't know that Allison's character Rose was the bad guy it is the right. same thing i've had i have the same exact feelings about us like i didn't know lapita nyongo's character was the was the evil one that they switched until the end of the first time i watched it so right. literally the second time i watched it i spent the entire time doing the same thing i did for get out was trying to trying to see where did he tell us that she wasn't who she said she was. And I think I, I narrowed it down. There's a few there's a few times in the film where they where they pointed out to you. In the beginning of the movie, when they're in the car, she can't stay on beat when they're car oh, riding. Yep. If you listen to the song, like she's snapping. I was like, why is she not snapping to the beat? <laughs> she's definitely not even close. <laughs> um and and I don't know if maybe uh, Elizabeth's Moss character, um, when she takes her, she doesn't kill her or cut her or anything mm-hmm. she doesn't do shit to her but everybody else they like you know they immediately kill right you know and when she kills the first twin you hear her start doing the like the grunts like she starts do like almost like getting back to her primal roots yeah. and you see that you see that a second time when she kills the um the other right. her yeah when she snaps when she snaps her neck like she full she goes like full beast mode and i think it's at that point since a little boy was in the locker when he saw it happen like that's like it wasn't in the car when he found out it was then i think it was then when he saw her is he knew that she wasn't that she wasn't the one who was supposed to be there. 
Right. And that's why the little boy puts his mask on, obviously, at the end of the movie when she starts smiling. And also, they're wearing – I don't know if maybe this was him trying to just tell the audience. Like, little – when she goes down the escalator, like, they show this shot of just her feet. And I think – I was like, why? Well, they show that she's wearing those brown sandals. You know, they're all wearing those same brown sandals. Yeah. The the people in red, she's wearing those. Like, why would they show us that? I felt like that was a little – to me, I felt like that was a little call to show you, like, hey, she – you know – She's always been that. She's always oh, been that. Really, person. I didn't catch that. That's a good one. Like another, another, another tie of what she, you know, another clue of that she's not who she says she is. Yeah, and in the whole movie, you think that she's afraid because she can't, because she's trying to get away from them, and then they're trying to get her. But what it actually is is she's scared because she knows that that's where she belongs, and that the people and like her family, the people where she's from, are they're coming. They're, you know, they're she's coming for her. Oh yeah, like it. This movie is a definition of you. Once you've seen it, you almost just want to like, hey, hey, like if you're watching this in the theater, it's like, hey, uh, Usher, just buy me another ticket. I'm just gonna sit right here and watch the next showing because I'm about to watch a completely different movie. That that goes to show me that like the next movie that he comes out in the theaters, I may go see it a second time in the theater because I already know. That his style of writing, like he, it deserves a second, a, like a dedicated second watch, not even yeah. just like just a casual first watch. And but it, I do, but I do, but I do think like maybe since he thought with the other ending of Get Out that maybe because this one has a very dark, has a darker ending than Get Out. It, it does. So, so 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 it's almost like after Get Out he was like no like. I should stick with my original dark. I don't know. I just felt like maybe that, like he knew that this was the change. Right. And plus we were post, plus we were post post Obama for him. So correct. That is correct. And it, you know, it's funny because when I was watching this movie for the first time in the theater and we were like, we, we got to that point where like at the ambulance scene and I was like, ah, I guess there wasn't, you know, and we like, it was, I feel like the movie was resolved. It was ending. Like we were about to roll the credits and I'm there thinking to myself, I'm like, Okay, well, you know, the movie was good. I liked the movie. There wasn't much of a, I guess, twist in there. There were kind of like some nice elements. I was already like packing my bags on this yeah. film ready to go. Like I was done. And all of a sudden, I, I, it's about the last two minutes of the movie where it completely changed your entire perspective on the entire film. And it makes you just think like, wait, what? What? Whoa, whoa. And then you're just kind of like, damn, like that completely like that's what the movie that's what I was expecting earlier on and like I'm I'm happy that we got like that big twist it's almost like again he's only one movie deep but like you're expecting like all right let me get that uh let me get that Jordan Peele twist right there I know that's coming I know it's got to be in there and like man does that really shift the tone of the entire movie and then it just makes you think like who am I rooting for in the second when you watch this movie for the second time yes who am I rooting for I literally that was that was gonna be my next point. Like during the whole movie, it's like, oh man, like like you want like you're almost you're rooting. Then you're like, oh man, I'm watching the movie from the villain's perspective. Actually, like real like now I'm rooting for the the others to take over her. Like even right. though it costs mass homicide, and that was another thing. Like some of the, cin- the cinematography again in this movie was great. Mm-hmm. Like. When they're driving through the street and you just see the dead bodies lying around everywhere, yeah. And in the back, and in the background of some shots, you'd see that you see them holding hands, yeah, the hands across America thing. Uh, another thing I didn't pick up uh, until this viewing 
was like obviously you have the guy holding the Jeremiah Jeremiah uh Jeremiah Jeremiah <laughs> the Jeremiah eleven eleven sign. You see him in nineteen eighty six. You see him again in you know in present day. He's still hanging around uh, Santa Monica or no Santa Clarita Santa one, Cruz. Santa Cruz. Oh, it's close enough. Not really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I got the Santa right. Um, but yeah, so you have you have him kind of like, you know, he's still around. And then they're driving to the beach for the first time. And you see the ambulance like they find his dead body and the ambulance is picking him up. And you see that that was like the old man from, you know, and then, you know, the movie moves on a little bit. And then you realize like there was like a boy like the boy, Jason, he saw like a, a guy with bloody hands already there. He was the first person to just be standing there waiting for the other people to like lock hands with him. And like, you just think that, Oh, that's really creepy. But in actuality, what we just witnessed was like his doppelganger found the real version of, of that guy killed him. And then we, he was in position for what was to come. And it was just foreshadowing what it is. And I looked this up and apparently this was in the movie, the first kill our first sign that, you know, things were not, as they say they were. This was like, it's almost like he was prematurely doing it because everyone else was doing it the, 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 later that night. But he was exactly. doing it. Like, he did it like in, during the day or the night before. Um, so yeah, so he got to that point. Also, uh, Jordan Peele asked the uh, the actors and like the crew who was involved to watch 11 horror films to basically be in the same, like they're all sharing the same mindset and the same language of the movie. And there's lots of symbolisms throughout, you know, all these other movies, like, you know, where he took inspiration from. But the one that I'm about to talk about, I'll talk about others later, is Jaws. He wanted the cast and crew to watch Jaws. And so there was, again, a compliment to cinematography. The the, the boy, he was wearing a Jaws t-shirt throughout the beach scene. Uh, and so... It a, oh, it was the boy. I, I couldn't remember if it was the boy or the little girl, but it was the boy. Yeah, it was the boy, and he was wearing the Jaws t-shirt. So when he was done using the bathroom... There was a shot of 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 like, I guess the way that it was the way that the shot was it basically the old man when he was standing there and just the way that the shot was, it looked like there was a fin in the water. So as the boy turned around and he saw the old man kind of standing there, uh, there was a brief moment where it looked like a fin was appearing from the water. And that was the threat, like the little boy saw the threat that was happening and I was like, all the way holy, from the beginning. all the way from the beginning. I'm like, holy shit. Like that, that's some deep level thinking. That's what he does best. It's like, as we see, yeah, as we see, it's just like, like things you don't think about and things where he gets inspiration from. It's just like that deep, deep level of like, like, again, every shot's not wasted whatsoever. Um, you know, he has like these deep meanings behind the, the, the smallest of things. It's like, who knew that that was going to be part of the movie? And you don't, it's a movie that doesn't need it, but it has it. And it makes it like the, when you find it, like these little small Easter eggs just makes that movie even better than it was before. Uh, there was another instance, like uh, kind of going back to the beginning of the movie, we start off by like seeing the, uh, the, the TV, the Hands Across America advertisement. Mm-hmm. And you also see there was a line excuse me, at the beginning of the movie where I guess like texts were coming across the screen. Of, oh, it like, talks about the, t- talks about the tunnel systems and underneath the earth. Right. So like that, that was the first thing you see was the tunnel system, like di- like the script, the dialogue, the words you see on the screen. The second thing you see is a hands across America advertisement. And then in the reflection of the TV, you see the little girl watching 
all that that you know the real little girl watching all of that and literally within the first three minutes of the movie it sets up her entire plan like it, it sets up where they are on these unused tunnels and it sets up how she got the inspiration for the hands like across America thing and it was in the movie where she like when the little girl takes her I guess her doppelganger and like traps her in down there you can tell that like the last thing she's seen of pulp culture was what inspired this whole grand plan. Like the last thing she's seen when she was a young age was that advertisement. Um, another thing that I saw was the reason why they wear the one glove. Like they have like this brown glove that they use like to hold the scissors. That's because that was a style for Michael Jackson. He always wore the one glove. Mm. And in, in the 1980s, like that was the thing. So they figured that that was, you know, should be part of the uniform. Um, I forgot why was the red jumpsuit were in play, but I remember that was a big. I might find was it, it because all the hands across America was red? Oh, that's possibly what it was. Yeah, that that's probably what it was. I don't know where why they, they found... have the shears. The shears or the scissors? Uh, there was. Oh, oh, that's right. Um, the whole. I mean, even the whole movie was about like two souls in one body, basically. What this whole movie was about. So the scissors. The tethered, right? So with scissors, it's two things coming together to make one thing if that makes sense like it's like because technically separately you have like two i guess knives i guess i'm not sure but if when you bring them together they work together to make to make scissors um so there's a lot of that in there um but again even with that and all of this like symbolism there is still comedy in the movie i felt gabe was an extension of jordan peele and his humor because he didn't take anything seriously no. throughout this whole movie <laughs> uh, I also love the um, the I got five on it like that that song hmm. is like currently played throughout the scene throughout the movie and in the end they do like this like that you know you highlighted it you know what I'm talking about that at the end that that song that they're doing at the end when she's dancing that's yep. that's that's the beats that I've got five on it yes exactly and so like it's funny because they um, fun fact, they only meant to use that in the trailer, that they worked with oh. the original creators of I've Got Five on it, the, the people who, you know, who sung the song and wrote the music. And they worked with him Great to come up with this. It is a good song. Um, <laughs> they, they went with they they worked with them to create like this eerie, like alternate version of the song. And it was only meant to be used for the trailer, but it was so well received in the trailer that that they 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 put it in the movie, and that was like almost like the theme of the film, more or less. But that sets up. But it's crazy to think about because that whole ending part, that that whole dance that she does, like without that song, that scene, like that song, in that placement, it makes that scene. Yes. Because she's dancing and she's like fucking her up, and it's like. That whole scene is just well done, how she's just messing her up. And like yeah. now, here's the other thing. The first time you watch it, you're like, oh man, she's getting her. Like she's like, the bad girl's gonna get her. But now you're like, no, she's getting her fucking revenge. And right. that's what this scene is. That's what this whole movie's about. Like they even like showcased it in the in the beginning or like throughout the film, and we later find out, was like the tethered. I guess they have small brief instances of like their own personality. And so like you can, I guess there was a scene where, you know, she was dancing and she was being a ballerina 
And it was like the turning point of both characters because it was like the person. So I guess the the real version was like showcasing that she was different to the tethered, whereas the I guess, I, mean, I guess Rhett, I don't know how. So the real the the person who was up, I guess, who took over for for her, she uh, like I guess it was finally cut for her coming to form because she was kind of going into society with like learning something that she didn't learn before. So it was like a both turning point. And that was like when red was discovering that, like, or the tethered realized that red was different and they were, they trusted her to do whatever. Yeah. Like they, they trusted her to be, to have this plan. She was also the only one that, that could speak because the other one, the others did not know how to speak. And that's also crazy of a, of a duality and like a, a different perspective because she was trapped in there so you can tell she was slowly turning into her, their ways. Like, you know, she was, she was able to speak. Both, talk. both adapting, both adapting to their environment. Exactly. And th- they even showcased that, like there was a moment in the movie where like the parents were concerned because you think that the little girl is facing some type of trauma and like po- they call it post traumatic stress disorder from whatever happened in the mirror scene. And so, like, the parents were trying to give her therapy, and basically they they, re- they figured that oh, she wasn't talking because she was going through trauma. In actuality, she didn't know how to talk at all. Yeah. <laughs> she had to go through speech therapy to actually learn how to talk for the first time and just basically adapt to this new environment where the other, the other part of it was, like, I guess she was slowly just reverting back to how the tethered are and then coming up with this plan to rise up. And like, and, and this basically this whole movie is like a revenge story. Yes. I would love for like for him to, I don't even know if it's true. Like if his films would like, I feel like it's his own, like he's creating his own film universe. Like I feel like Get Out and Us, like both could coexist in the same universe. And it could just oh. be like this world where all this crazy, where all this crazy shit happens. And like, I would love to see, especially with him doing Twilight Zone, like I would love to see yes. like little hints and call, like in his next movie, like maybe like little hints and callbacks. Like maybe you show on the passing by, you show the hand, some uh, like a shot of the, the red, the people holding hands across the America or something. I don't right. Know. I mean, it, I mean, this could be like, uh, like, a, an, you know, if we were to build like a Jordan Peele universe, I feel like us would be like on the later end of it. So all the movies that he might come out with will be like taking place before us. But there could oh, be like yeah. instance where like there could be a world where what happens after us? Like what? So basically at the end of the movie, what is the goal? Like the goal was they kill their doppelganger. And then what? They're just going to stand in unity of like enjoying the, the sun. Yeah, I mean, I guess but you have to. You can't look at it as a world resolution story. It's it, through and through. It, it's a character story. Like it's about yeah. it's about Adelaide. It's about Adelaide and Red and their duality and both living opposite lives and what and what that causes. Like right. the end result is the hands across America thing. Like that's what happened. You know, you pushed somebody to their edge and look what happened. You know, you took you took you took their life away and they found a way to get it and get you back. But she, she, she lost that story. Like she, she lost in that battle. Technically she, yeah, she did. I mean, she did at the last minute, but it was all the way up until then. So really the movie has a very sad, sad ending. (laughs) I guess it depends on the perspective you're looking at it. It's, it, it depends on like, who are you following in this journey? 
Because, I mean, did Red lose? Because look at what she accomplished. Everybody else's hands hands locked together, like, around the country. So she was able that to part get of her that plan. Yeah, that part of her plan. Well, I guess she did succeed because her plan was to let the world know that they exist. And her plan was for them to get out. So I guess, actually, the movie, if the way you – if you're on her side, like she her plan succeeded, but she had to sacrifice herself in in the process. Correct. But also, did she truly again? She did she even succeed even more because technically, the tethered version of herself is still out there. Like technically, like the the real version of her did die, and the the tethered version of her did win among every other tethered person. With hands across America, she just did it in a different way. But now, and now her son knows. Now her son knows without a doubt that right. that's not who it is. So what if that's the the small thread that that lets them know? Maybe that you know, maybe later the family finds out, or the son gets her, or, so, or something, something, something later. Why else? Why else leave us with the fact that your son knows? Well, here's the thing with the son, and I, I did, and I don't know if I believe this. <gasps> There's a theory out there that the son is a tethered person as well. At some point in the movie, they switched. And they believe that when the son went to go use the bathroom and the beach was when they switched. Which I, I don't believe that. But a lot of people think that that's the case. No, because his face was all burned up, and those were old scars. Right. I agree. I agree with that. But some people have a theory that that's the case. And also, like, another theory was, like, every time he tried to get the match to work or whatever this matcher trick was working, I guess to create a spark and it wasn't working, it was working uh, for, for, the, for the tethered person. That's why his face is all messed up, because he always got burned with the fire from every false trick. Mm. So there was so there was that like, you know, comparison of why, uh, you know, his face was all burned up. But I, I don't believe that theory. I believe the boy was the boy the whole entire time. Yeah, I think he was a boy the whole entire time. But I do think that he that he can tap in that he's more in tune with his shadow side because mm. technically he's he's a, like a half shadow tethered person and half regular. Actually, all their oh, kids are. That's so true. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. So maybe maybe he mentally because he was always they mentioned it from the beginning of how different he is. Yes. So maybe maybe he just mentally relates. He's more in tune with his mom and the girl. Who? Well, no, no, that actually makes kind of sense. That makes a lot of sense because the girl and the dad are kind of oblivious. Yes. But the but if the mom and the son are very in tune to what's happening in the world. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's like the kid. He has his own other story. That we can even dive into like he, he does a lot of weird things that make you think like what what does he know? And then at, very, at the end of the movie, you know, he like, you know, he knows like he's looking at her like, dude, like, come on. But, like, are, but even from when he's in the locker, like he's afraid. Like at first, I guess on first watch, you would think that he's afraid because like, you know, he just saw someone die. But right. when actually what he's actually afraid of is the fact that. He knows that the evil one lived. Correct. And he saw, and like that was his confirmation when he saw her. When he saw her rage out on her. And also, like you can tell, she was like making those noises, like yeah. you know, like the grunts, the the screeching, whatever. Like as soon as she kissed, she was making those noises. And then like she like composed herself, like okay, I'm back. It's like satisfaction, like when she yes. snapped her. Neck. 
and, and you she know, had, like take a second to bring herself back. <laughs> exactly. And like with with that, like I was even paying attention. Like she was like, you know, giving him uh, affection, and the boy never hugged her. Like his hands was out. Like he's like, I'm not, you know, you're touching me, but like I'm not hugging you back. But also, in in a way, it's 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 weird to think about this. This is still your mother. This is like you still know her for everything that she that she is, whether she's the the, the evil person or not. You know her under a different light. So what do you? She raised you. She raised you exactly. So like I don't know. It's it's such a weird thing to come out of this movie, like thinking like basically it really asked the question what is right and what is wrong and who should you be rooting for in the scenario uh and, it, and that's a question i don't think that's a hard question to answer and i don't think we're going to get the resolution to that it's just like it is what it is like it's almost like you think of your own you know happy twisted ending of sorts because technically and also that i saw like uh i was reading about it and like every person killed their alter ego in some way shape or form like the father killed the his doppelganger and you know the the sister the brother the mother they all killed their own doppelganger um and i believe they were kind of they were hinting like you you you're talking about how like kitty elizabeth moth's character didn't go ahead and kill um you know uh andy and her character um and they believed that they were not allowed to kill somebody else like they weren't allowed to kill the other person's doppelganger. So they were just having fun with them until their doppelganger arrived. That was a theory that somebody else had. And that's why they weren't killed instantly. Hmm. So there's a lot. There's a lot. That just shows you, that just shows you how great he is and how great his movies are and how great his writing is. Because here we are years after this, these, both of these films have come out and we're still talking about them. How much there is to unpack from them. Yeah, and like and like this movie isn't like this is less than two years old, and there's so much. I mean, I mean this is still a fresh movie, and I'm so, I'm honestly surprised it wasn't this was not in the Oscar contender at all, which is surprising me, even because Get Out was, and I feel like this movie is very hand in hand to Get Out, even though I did like the script more in Get Out than I did with Us. Yeah. Um, going into some fun facts, there was you know talk about some other movies that he took inspiration from the shining was one of them. You can see that, you know, in cases where he had the twins, um, in the, you know, for the other family, uh, they, there was a scene in the beach where she was asked, they were asking like the sister, can you come and play with us? Why is your brother being so weird? Another nod to the shining in the opening scene. There was like this long wide shot aerial shot of like them driving down like this winding road, I'd like to call back to how The Shining started. So there was a lot, a lot in there. Um, in 1987, there was a film being, or 1986, there was a film being filmed at the Santa Cruz beach line called The Lost Boys. And there was a reference that Adeline's mother dropped to the father, which so when she was young and she was like, hey, isn't there a film being shot at the beach? Maybe you should go ask to be an extra on it. And that was a callback to there was a real movie actually being filmed at that boardwalk. So oh, nice. So that was like if, if you know if this was taking place in real life, you know there was a real movie being filmed there. Um, during the the filming of the Santa Cruz Beach boardwalk, the rides were filled with dummies. So they bought out oh, the nice. whole park and they just filled the whole all the amusement park with dummies and they used CGI to create movement in those scenes. Huh. So. 
that's a lot of CGI to to get people who are like, I, does that make it easier just to hire extras for one day to film a carnival instead of just yeah. putting dummies in CGI? I don't know. I don't know about that one. Um, the the like I said, yeah, the overhead shot. Um, this film grossed over seventy one million dollars in op- in its opening weekend. It's the highest ever for an original horror film and the second highest for an original live action film to have to gross that much money. Uh, this, it came second place and it only it came second place by eight million dollars to Avatar when that movie came out in 2009. Wow. So it's crazy to think about, again, this freshman director already making a name for himself and he's already hitting all these strides as well as, you know, you know, be, basically having the the uh the highest the highest grossing movie for a horror film ever and this is only the second horror f- film you've ever made so yeah, it only sure. goes to can't sh- wait to see what else is coming seriously um the presence of white rabbits and the halls of mirrors and red jumpsuits that were wear that were worn by the tethered and i feel like this is like an obvious one and i it, when i read it i'm like wow that's so it's such a i should have recognized that so the rabbits the halls of mirrors the red jumpsuits were all references to Alice in Wonderland. Oh. Uh, you have the, the Halls of Mirrors uh, represented, through, you know, look through the looking glass. The red jumpsuits were represented by the Evil Queen, which was the villain of the story. You have, you know, going down the rabbit hole, which is where the tethered were, all references to Alice in Wonderland. Um, the name Jason, the son, who was named uh, Jason, was a clear reference to fr- uh, Friday the 13th from Jason. Mm. That's a clear one. Uh, we talked about the song, got five on it. Was on top of what I said about the, you know, how it was used in the score. There was also used because the story tells two guys chipping in five dollars to buy a ten dollar bag of weed. Basically, uh, it's two things coming together to make a whole. Basically, mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing, which is like the scissors and the repetition of number eleven and the combination with the twins. Uh, the two things are just coming together. Um, I talked about the uh, the Jaws thing. Uh, Adeline, oh, this is another good one. Ad- Adeline's shirt had progressively become stained with red. Basically, because she, I think she was wearing white when mm-hmm. the tethered first attacked her. And then throughout the movie, it just like herself and her dress was slowly becoming red. And by the end of the movie, it was just completely drenched in blood, symbolizing that she is another you know her true origin the fact that she's a tethered who would have been wearing red throughout the whole movie which i thought it was pretty cool to have that duality um there was another thing that i thought was interesting so there was a scene in when you know kitty and the basically the white family that we were introduced they had a um you know their doppelgangers came up and killed them like instantly which i did i was actually quite surprised when they came about because i only thought that it was like because and you know the trailers were only showcasing the doppelgangers and the tether to one family and it was a surprise to me that it was multiple families and multiple people and basically all across america there's like a version of yourself living underground everybody. <laughs> everybody has one so it was crazy to see that like oh this other family also has their own doppelganger version and so when kitty you know her doppelganger killed her there was a moment where she was looking at her and like she was like basically like looking at what she had and she like had the knife and she scraped it across her face. And I always thought that was a weird thing to have, like, you know, it, it, other than just being creepy. But again, like we've talked about, no scene was wasted. Apparently they, rep, they they made a callback or they made um 
a reference in the movie when they were at the beach, she she claimed or she said she had plastic surgery done to her face. Mm. And there was a scar that was left from the surgery. So when the doppelganger saw her and they finally killed her, she noticed that there was a scar that was on the side of her face that she didn't have. So she decided to cut herself so she can have the same scar as her doppelganger. Damn. And I was I was like, damn, that that is uh again some deep level shit that was not like you would again a weird thing that you don't you don't think about. But Jordan Peele took the time to write that, to shoot that, to have that in the movie. To, again, just an, uh, uh, just just the fact that there is no wasted shot. That everything that was in these movies happened for a reason, and so yeah. that's that's crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, there, is there anything else you want to add, Ernesto, to to us? No, another great Jordan Peele film. I can't wait to you know see what's coming next. And so so now we're gonna kind of dive into what he's been currently working on, and which has been a lot. So, like, there isn't a lot of movies that he's been doing. He's basically kind of dived into the world of television. Um, and, you know, he's working on a, a bunch of different projects. Ernesto, there was, you know, one that you kind of mentioned to me before. He was an executive producer for the Oscar-winning animated short Hair Love, which we raved about. Yeah, that, yeah, when we were doing our stuff, I was like, what? What is this? Like, where does this come from? I also... I also started Hunters, um, the Amazon Prime show that, that he also executive produced. I started it. That was great. Um, you finished Twilight Zone and you've raved about that, about how great that was. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, hell, like you can see this and like I, I've raved about the show and Twilight Zone is such a great series that can showcase other people's work. And the fact that Jordan Peele is behind some of the some of the work there and like he's like overseeing all the projects there are some cases where like some of these stories are really good and i can only imagine him having a small hand into it uh so i think that and he you know he's part he's a creator so he definitely brought that show from the ground up and um he's also you know having like you said his hand on hunters which you, you said it was you said it was good so far yeah the first couple episodes are great and you know he he's producing he produced I guess it's because it's already made the new the 2020 Candyman I mean whenever it um, whenever it decides to come out it's a sequel to the 1992 film um, and actually the main um, character Yaha Abdul Mateen II he was in Us he plays uh, Lapita Nyong'o's dad in the beginning yes, of the movie he does and he was also in Watchmen and you know yes, he was great yeah, in Watchmen. Yeah, he was great in Watchmen. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, and so on top of all this other work, uh, Jordan Peele is also the creator and executive producer of The Last OG, which is a TBS series starring Tracy Morgan and Tiffany Haddish. He created that show with Tracy Morgan. And then most most recently, he is the creator and the executive producer of the series that's currently happening right now on HBO, Lovecraft Country. Which I heard nothing but great things. I think the first or, or the first episode or the first two episodes came out already from the time that we're recording this, and so this is very brand new. He's working with this project with J.J. Abrams, so you have that level of horror slash uh, like monster sci-fi elements, and so it looks good. I can't wait to start watching it. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to do a review on that one. Yeah, that's for sure. Gotta kind of give it its due and justice, and especially kind of going down Jordan Peele's line of work. Um, exactly. 
you know, it, it's kind of hard not to just continue and following along and what other projects he's working on. As far as future projects, Ernesto, you kind of mentioned already uh, Candyman. Uh, not only is he producing the film, but he's also one of the three writers that are mm-hmm. that he's lending a hand in the screenplay. Uh, uh, that movie actually comes out in October as of right now. So hopefully they can keep to that date. We, uh, we know how, what, what climate we're in right now. And, you know, so hopefully they, it doesn't get delayed yet again. So hopefully we can stick to that October date. Um, and like, so like he's really embracing the horror genre, like to the fullest, to the fullest form. And it's funny that he came from a world of comedy and now for two short movies, and I wouldn't say short movies, but just two movies, he's already like, I'm, I am the king of horror. I am the king of modern horror. Like, it's like, it's crazy to think about like how you were able to, to totally shift yourself into a different career path. He's also attached to an animation comedy horror coming out in 2021 called Wendell and Wild. He's not directing it, but he, him and Keegan-Michael Key are starring and writing in it. So mm-hmm. we could see another, another Keanu style comedy, but this is just, but, and this is going to be an animated horror. So it's, right. that's going to be interesting. Right. Isn't it? Uh, it? And I'm reading the bio here. It follows two demon brothers faced off against a nun and a pair of goth teens. That sounds so weird. It sounds so weird, but it's but you know, especially with Jordan Peele and his voice, you know, I've heard he's voiced on Big Mouth and Bob's mm-hmm. Burgers and all these other like more or less R-rated cartoons. So I'm I'm pretty I have faith in that this will probably this is probably going to be good. <laughs> yeah, and also kind of lending his voice as a voice actor. Uh he was with uh Keegan Michael Key in Toy Story 4. He was the That's bunny right. and it was a bunny and the duck, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, a, a bunny and ducky, yeah. And those were I mean, they're always great comedically and they were like great hand in hand in that movie. Probably one of the highlights of the film and we've talked about this before of my dislike of the film, but we're not going to go yeah. into that at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly um he's also working on another untitled project with keegan michael key so he hasn't forgotten about how you know his upbringing and how he got to his fame today so he definitely has a lot of excuse me upcoming projects with him he's also uh set to star and produce in another comedy called substitute teacher and it follows uh, a teacher named mr gravy uh or garvey mr garvey uh, he's an angry substitute teacher, stirs up trouble at his assigned high school. So he has that in the works. And then lastly, which I, this is the one I'm most excited for. I'm hopefully uh, he's working with Issa, uh, Issa Rae. Issa Rae? Yeah, which makes yeah. sense because they just did Big Love. She was the voice of the mom. Oh, okay. There, yeah, exactly. So uh, Hair Love. Hair Love. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he's working with her in a movie called uh, Sinkhole. And right now, Jordan Peele is only credited as a producer, but that could change, you know, as we get more information about this project. But um, it follows and it's going to star uh, Issa Rae, and I believe she's also producing it as well. But it follows a young family who moves into their dream home despite a having a mysterious sinkhole in their backyard. So that just kind of dives right into the mystery, mystery element. Could be horror in there. Could be a comedy. I have no idea what direction this movie is, but I think like it's going to be more on a comedy front if there if if Issa Rae is connected to it. Oh, you think so? Yeah, and I I have faith. She's great. I mean, oh yeah, she no, she's great. She's her great. show her show is great. She was uh, her films are great. So I'm 
I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, it's based off of a short story, so uh, they're you know I guess they're either expanding on it. I think it's a movie. I don't think it's a series. I'm not not a lot of information's out on it, but I I think it's a film that he's a part of. But I I'm not sure if he's uh, it doesn't say if he's writing or directing. So this could be his next project. We don't like his next feature length film. We don't know. But I mean either way, I mean all the stuff that we've talked about so far, we can't wait to see what he does next. With, it's like he's like I feel like we're 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 you know we're we're kind of you know going over his line of work at the very early stages of his of his you know his career of like his directing and writing career and like I mean and just just in a short amount of time within you know probably three years look how much he's accomplished so far and it's only you know just a testament of like what else he has like like you were saying you know we don't know what his like what is he going to be known for at the end of all this? Is he going to come out with like a series that just blows everybody out of the water? Is he going to come out with like a movie franchise that just like blows our minds of like how deep and like, and also it's great to see uh, a director coming out with great original content. This isn't adaptations from, from like a, a large property or, you know, this isn't like, you know, he took over the Twilight Zone and that's him adapting, you know, his own style to a very popular uh, series. But like, it's not like he, you know, his career is based off of like a very popular comic book or popular book or, or TV show or he's not rebooting anything. This is all from the mind of him. And you can only, you know, give him praise for 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 that. Yeah, most definitely. Um, but yeah, I think. Unless Ernest, you have anything else to say? I think you know we we I think we kind of talked about everything that Jordan Peele has to offer right now. They know how we feel about him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, again, I hope you guys like these creator spotlights. We love you know, and for us, we it just gives fun. us like it, it's fun, right? It gives us a different perspective, like a, a different element of kind of looking at someone's line of work and really like kind of putting the pieces together of how he able. He was able to, you know, make these projects. So we're hoping to do these every now and then. Right now we're using this as like, you know, right now I'm going on vacation. And so we, you know, we wanted to have like a week off. And these are great like fill-ins for us to put in there. Um, and so we have a good time kind of, you know, making these process, making these creator spotlights. And also, if you have any ideas, who who is who who do you guys want to see as our yeah. next creator spotlight? Let us know. Uh, either email us at boxofficebingers at gmail.com or just hit us up on our Instagram page at boxoffice underscore bingers. We would love to hear what you guys have to say about this creator spotlight as well as some future ones you guys would love to see us break down and kind of go through the line of work. So we're, we're open to all suggestions. And, you know, and also if you, this is the first one you're listening to, we've done Ryan Coogler. And we had a, our special guest on, Kirk Jordan, and he has some great insight about Ryan Coogler. We've also done Christopher Nolan in anticipation for Tenant, whenever we see that movie. Yeah, <laughs> Brandon on. <laughs> and we have Brandon on for that. So, um, so yeah, we definitely had some fun kind of going down these famous directors. And who knows? Again, it, it doesn't have to be directors. We can, you know, producers, actors, writers, let us know. We would love to hear your feedback on these. Uh, because we love doing them and kind of kind of giving a deep dive and maybe giving you some information to know about the director. Or maybe yeah. if you haven't seen any of their line of work, we did spoil a lot of his line of work, but maybe this influenced you to kind of go watch, go watch these movies yourself. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, so that's our creative spotlight on Jordan Peele. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And for that, I've been your host, Matt Diaz. Ben Ernesto Santos. See ya.